But we continue our series on holiness. And I remember one day in high school after classes were over, I had a little bit of time to kill before I had to work out with the rest of the football team in the weight room. And track season was in full swing. So that's one thing you don't want. You don't want a bunch of big offensive linemen around track equipment. Well, you know, everything, every time somebody gets hurt, it usually starts off with, hey, y'all, watch this. Well, I tried that, and I saw laying there, I saw uh, the big pad that you jump on, and then it had the big high bar that you jump over. Then it had the, the pole or the javelin or whatever, you know. And so I thought, I've seen him do it on TV. I can do it. What are y'all saying? Oh, wait. No, you're right. Uh, me being a pudgy, muscle-bound little uh, offensive lineman had no business doing that. And, and I will go ahead and spare you the gory details. I, I had a brief moment of clarity, and I thought physics would not allow this to end well. So I kind of just kind of pushed on it a little bit and, and saw what would happen, and the bar started doing this. So I thought, I'm not going to push it. The last thing I can see is me trying to run and do that and then watch me laughing and then putting the pole down to jump over and the pole just goes, Bleep. So <clears throat> I didn't do that, but I remember uh, I haven't trained as a high jumper, but I've seen one on TV, right? And uh, my size as an offensive lineman would prohibit me from raising or from meeting that bar because I remember looking up at that bar thinking, how in the world do people clear that thing? That bar is so high. And I thought to myself, if there was ever an illustration of holiness, it is that high jump for someone of my physical fortitude. Because i got news for you. Gravity always wins, amen? And that bar was so high. There's no, I had I'd not trained for it. I hadn't done anything to prepare myself for it, so I just put it down and went on to the weight room. Folks, God says to us, be holy as I am holy. Now, I want you to know something. That means that the bar he has set for you as a believer is too high for you to get on your own. It's no different than me trying to do the high jump. And God has raised the bar for Christians that is too high. Again, he says in 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, for us to be holy as he is holy. But this expectation, so many times people expect, you're the preacher, you're supposed to be holy. Or my Bible study teacher, they're supposed to be holy. Or you pastor, he's supposed to be holy. But, but me, I didn't sign up for that so I can just get by, right? No. He says to everyone, whether you are a minister or whether you are the lowest of lowest person, his desire his bar that he has set for you today is to be holy as he is holy. But the only way that we can make that mark, the only way that I can make that mark of being holy is by Jesus Christ coming into my life and making me holy because he is holy. And the more we learn about and strive to be holy like God, the more our own sinfulness is revealed. Have you ever noticed that? I've noticed a lot of times in worship or in a message or something comes on the radio. I mean, that, that preacher or that band or that choir or somebody, 
They will just be singing God's praises. And all of a sudden, my sin pops up in my head. I'm like, oh no, what do I do with this? Because folks, as we come into God's presence, God brings our sins and imperfections in front of us. So the things most of us do, and I've been tempted to do at times, is just cut the radio off or change the channel or watch, stop watching that YouTube video and move on with my day. But in the process of becoming holy as God is holy, when those sins come to the forefront of our lives, we're supposed to deal with them. We are supposed to confess them because we've been forgiven of them, folks. It's not to put us on a guilt trip. If you are guilty over sins that you have confessed, it is a lie straight from the devil. God is not your accuser. Satan is. Remember that. If you think that, well, preacher, you don't understand what I've done. I don't understand what you've done, but I know this. There is nothing that you have done except deny Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord that can separate you from his love. So we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 6 today for a few verses and see what it means to be holy. And, and <coughs> Excuse me, I'm having some, some third issues this morning, but the message is entitled The Intersection of Provision and Responsibility. The intersection of provision and responsibility. I don't know about you, but when I'm driving down the road and I'll see something like a school intersection or a bus stop or something like that, or you see a sign that says slow children playing, um, I feel so sorry for those slow children. But uh, what I end up doing is, is I make sure that I slow down because heaven forbid that I would ever hurt a child that's playing in the road. I see the signs. I see the intersection. If they say the deers might run out in front of you, which is a high likelihood here in Anderson, you slow down. Or if you see that this is where a tractor is going to pull out, you look for tractors, right? So with this intersection of provision and responsibility, I encourage you to go through this intersection. But I encourage you to go through it with care. Because uh, I've got some friends, and, and I might have told you about these folks before, but they have little miniature dachshunds. You ever seen a miniature dachshund? Those things are hilarious. And their legs are just long enough to keep their bellies from rubbing the ground when they walk. But they will run out, and they have a big fenced-in backyard, and they will come in all the time with a dead rabbit, a dead chipmunk, a dead something. You ever had a pet do this? And they lay it at your feet and say, uh-huh, look. Aren't you proud of me? And you're like, get that out of my house now. It's the fact that you see some poor defenseless little chipmunk that was eating your radishes or whatever they do, tearing up your yard. You're kind of glad that the dog got him, but you don't want that dead thing in your house. I want you to understand that when it comes to holiness, if we do not let go of our sin, if we stop making a priority confession and repentance of our sin to become more holy, we are playing with dead things. We are allowing those carcasses of chipmunks and bunnies and all these things that come into the house, we're allowing them to live in our lives rent free. Folks, we cannot pursue holiness and worldliness in the same vein. The car will not go in two different directions. And Paul tells us in Romans 6 that sins and bad habits and our hang-ups that we had before coming to Christ 
no longer have any power over us. Let's read about that. We're going to read about verses 1 through 5. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin or in order that grace may multiply? In other words, he's saying, do we need to be more sinful so we can get more grace? He says, uh, no, absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? I can't think of a better Sunday to preach this after you have seen an illustration of baptism. That When Jody went underwater, that was a symbolic as her old self dying. And when she raised up out of the water, that was a symbolic new creature that Christ has made her. And all of us that call ourselves Baptists and are the member of a Baptist church that have been baptized, we ascribe to the same principle. And he says here, he says, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we may walk in a new way of life. Verse 5 says, For if we have been joined with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. I want you to understand something. The struggle is real. Sometimes preachers and churches and Worship leaders and Bible study teachers that have taught you have made you think that if you become a Christian, all your problems are over. That once you become a Christian, His way is your way and you'll never be tempted again. If you believe that, you have not read one word, you have not read one word that Paul has put in his epistles. You have not understood that when we accept Jesus Christ, we are no longer slaves to that sin we used to carry out. But we are still influenced by it. Wouldn't it be great if when you became a Christian, all of your temptations were just taken away? Wouldn't that be great? No, it would not be great. Because it's those very temptations that drive you to the life of Jesus Christ. To become more holy. You don't go to the gym and lift weights that are easy enough for you to do. A million times. You put on weight that makes you struggle. You put on weight that grips your muscles. You put on weight that causes them to build back and become stronger. Folks, God's gym is our sinful nature. He doesn't take away, He doesn't take it away from us because He always wants us to be dependent upon Him. And we see here, and especially in verse 2, folks, we should not be comfortable. With our sin. We shouldn't, we go into sin management one-on-one. Well, yeah, preacher, I know I got this going on in my life, but it's not as bad as that person sitting beside me. It's not as bad as my family member that's in jail. It's not as bad as that guy on TV. It's not any better than yours, preacher. I got news for you. It doesn't matter. We're not into sin management. We should not be comfortable with our sin. The problem with the church in America today is we want to worship We want the experience. We want the feelings, but we don't want the holiness. We don't want the responsibility. We don't want to be holy. We want to be like everybody else, but we want to feel good about it. Folks, holiness doesn't work that way. Because, first of all, I want to tell you something. God hates sin. Oh, I know you're not supposed to use the word hate. 
God said it himself. He hates sin. God hates sin because it is the very antithesis of his nature. He hates sin because he is so much not sin. Psalm 5.4 says, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil cannot dwell with you. Also, God's greatest attribute is his holiness. We see in Isaiah 6.3, we see the words, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. His glory fills the whole earth. They didn't repeat it three times because the author stuttered. They didn't have punctuation back then. And so when they say holy, 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 it's like they're shouting, God is holy. And we just read it in our good old Christian verses like, holy, holy, holy is the Lord who got, you know, the Lord of hosts. No, it's not holy, holy, holy. It's holy. The word holy has weight. It has requirements. It has blessings. And we see that God hates sin, but also sin always, and mark this down in your calendars, sin always brings separation. Sin always brings separation. We see in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, the first separation to ever take place is Adam and Eve. They are separated from God. Verse 8 says in chapter 3 of Genesis that the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And they hid themselves from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Look, if you are not a Christian and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior and you live in sin, you're never going to figure Him out. Because your sin separates you from God. It doesn't mean that you have to be perfect. But it means you need to be open. And don't worry, this is not just for the non-Christians, folks. Paul was writing to the church here. He's talking to the church, and he's telling the church, if you are a Christian, but you still want to hold on to your sinful nature, you are going to separate your fellowship from God. You wonder why you don't feel as close to God as you used to. Well, my friend, where's your sin management in your life? On a scale of 1 to 10, is it a 5, 7, 8, 10? We cannot have sin in our lives, whether we are a Christian or a non-Christian. And also, sin, it lessens our love. It lessens our love for God. Sin lessens our love for God. 1 John 2, 15 and 16 puts it this way. It says, Do not love the world or the things that belong to the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of in one's lifestyle is not from the Father, but from the world. We see in verses 3 and 4 that baptism symbolizes the means by which we obtain holiness. It's not in our own strength, it's His. So what do these verses teach us about our pursuit of holiness? I'll tell you what it teaches us. When you and I choose sin over holiness, it is no different than us going to the grave that we were buried in our old self and pulling out dead things and playing with them. It's no different than that dog going out and getting that chipmunk or that bunny rabbit. And you say, oh, preacher, you don't understand what I'm going through. You don't understand the sin that I can't, that, that won't let go of me. So you're telling me that God is not enough. So you're telling me that Jesus' blood was not enough for you to get rid of that sin. i got news for you today, folks. When it comes to pursuing holiness, when we sin, 
Why do we sin, Christian? Because we choose to. That's as bottom line as you can get it. As bottom line as Paul says here. But holiness means that we cannot continue to live in sin as a Christian and be comfortable with it. That's what holiness means. We cannot praise God with our mouth and live like hell with our body. We cannot do that. The second thing we see is that Jesus Christ is our provision for holiness. You remember when I was talking about how high that bar was that I wanted to try to get over? Jesus Christ is our provision. He is the pole that shoots us over that bar. But here's the thing. Have any of you ever tried to be holy? Have any of you tried to make the right decision and made the wrong one instead? We call that failure. And then Satan wants to say to you, look, you failed, don't try it again. What if someone decided to run track and they tried the high jump the first time and failed it and they never tried it again? Well, they would never be good at their sport. Failure is a tool of the devil. Too many believers think that once they become Christians, <clears throat> all they have to do is read the Bible and pray. Then holy living will just follow those. It's just a natural thing. It's not natural. Any of y'all use computers? A lot of you, hate, a lot of you can't stay in computers. I understand that. But on a computer, when you go into a Word document, or you go into some kind of program, they have what they call a default setting. Every time you open up your computer, your word processor, it defaults to Times New Roman or whatever whatever you got. Once you understand something, when you wake up in the morning and you boot up your life for the day, your default is sin. Your default setting is sin. So to pursue holiness is a choice that you and I must make because Paul reminds us in verses 6 through 12 that our default is sinful. Let's look at Romans verses, chapter 6, verses 6 through 12. He says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that sin's dominion over the body may be abolished, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. Since a person who has died is freed from sin's claims. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, no longer dies. Death no longer rules over him, for in that he died. He died to sin once and for all. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. The struggle is real, folks. I'm not telling you that if you pursue holiness, it won't be hard. If you don't believe me, take just a moment. I know that uh, we don't normally switch scriptures, but let's switch streams just for a moment. And turn to Romans chapter 7, verse 15 for just a second. <clears throat> We're going to be looking at the words of Paul, a man who killed Christians, a man who made his life persecuting the church, a man who was converted on the road to Damascus. He went from serving Satan to serving God. And in Romans chapter 7, the man that wrote all of this stuff we're reading this morning, listen to what he says about sinful nature. He says, Paul says, For I do not understand what I am doing, because I do not practice what I want to, but I do what I hate. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So now I am no longer the one doing it, but it is the sin living in me. 
For I know that nothing good lives in me, in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now, if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but it is the sin that lives in me. So I discover this principle. When I want to do what is good, evil is always with me. This is a man that did not have sin, Master. This is a man who struggled with sin just like you and I. So if God calls you to be holy, as he is holy, and you are struggling with sin, you're in, pretty good, you're in a pretty good camp today, aren't you? Because you're right with Paul too. God does demand perfection from you and I. But will you and I ever be able to get that protection on our own? Absolutely not. When he looks at you at the judgment day, and he looks at me, he's not going to see the works I've done or not done. He's going to see Jesus Christ, and he's going to say, holy, holy, holy. He is our defense. In verses 11 through 12 of Romans 6, he says, So you too consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its desires. There's two words, or two phrases that I really like in this passage. Number one, he uses the word consider. And God is asking you this today. He's asking me this today to consider, to set your mind on the fact that you are different. Second thing he says is to take action. Folks, don't let the cancer of sin go unchecked in your life. How many people do you know? They go to the doctor, and the doctor says that C word. And you go to every specialist you can to try to get that treated. Well, as a preacher, I, I don't understand how that works, but I know this. Sin is a cancer. It will eat you and I away unless we consider it and unless we take action. Because, folks, when we fix our grip on the deadness of our past sins, we lose the power of living the holy life that Christ has made possible for us. So just stop it. Stop trying to achieve holiness in your own strength. Because God always provide, already has provided holiness for you. And the third thing we see is that our responsibility to holiness is to pursue it. In verses 13 and 14 it says, And do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead... Offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. If someone struggles with alcoholism, it would probably be better for them to be in this church today than to be in the ABC store. You agree? All right? And look, there are many other sins other than that, but I'm just saying you take whatever sin that you're in. The fact that you are you thought you were here just because you always do this. But God has a plan for you today. He's reminding you that your responsibility to holiness is to pursue it. You pursue that by taking action and considering. And then we see that we need to break the habit of thinking of ourselves first. Let's read verses 17 and 18. He says, But thank God that although you used to be slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart the pattern of teaching you were entrusted to. And having been liberated from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. 
folks, Christians, we tend to sin out of habit. The problem with the church today is, is we want to think of ourselves first. How is this going to make me feel? How is this going to benefit me? There is nowhere in the scriptures that I read where Paul teaches where it's a me-first attitude. If you have a me-first attitude, sin will be your master the rest of the days of your lives. Do not be more comfortable in a cell of your own sin when Jesus has opened that door for you. I've used this illustration all the time. If you bear with me, I'll use it one more time as we close up. I love Andy Griffith. Y'all love Andy Griffith? I like watching that show. Y'all like it? Love it. Otis will come in there. You know he's a town drunk. Otis will come in there. He'll get the key, unlock the door, put the key back, and then go inside and sleep it off. Folks, the key is there. And the door can be open if you just take it. What he is saying about holiness here, he's saying you no longer have to be a slave to your sinful nature, that you can choose holiness. You can choose to do right. You say, but preacher, you don't understand the sins that I'm in. No, but God does. And if you are a Christian, you have been set free from that sin. The reason that you are not set free is because you choose to be enslaved by it. It's not him. It's you. So how in the world did I get intersection and provision from all of this? Well, let me tell you something. The intersection of holiness, in other words, how holiness works, is God's provision and our responsibility. God provides a way for you to be holy. It's through Jesus Christ. But your responsibility is to choose that way, to take and consider and live a holy life. Holiness means at the intersection of God's provision and responsibility, we are called to perfect holiness. Folks, who is our perfection in holiness? Christ Jesus, our Lord, is our perfection. When God looks at us, he will not look at us, he will look at Christ who is in us. Just as we saw that in baptism today. So where is the where does the rubber meet the road in this sermon? What am I trying to say? How does holiness work? I'm going to share one last verse with you, and then we're going to sing a song, and then we're going to be gone. John 14, 15 says this. It says, if you love me, obey my commandments. That is the pursuit of holiness. I don't know how, how better to bottom line for you. If you want to pursue holiness, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Love is a strong word. How do you and I live the life that God has created to live? It's when his love meets our love. And our actions meet his actions. If you love me, obey my commands. So if you're here today and you are taking your sin lightly, please stop. You will never know the true joy of being holy as God has called us to be holy. And if you are a Christian struggling with sin, I'd love to pray with you. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, I would like to pray with you. Whatever it may be, this response is for him. Would you please stand?